As today's technology blows away the sands of time, we are digging deeper into the secrets of these mysteries. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast, the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. Far more powerful than all the others. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. I am superstar host, Jordan, along with even more superstar host, Andrew Plaw. You're too kind, Jordan. You're too kind. <laughs> I'm I'm the appropriate amount of kind. Perfect. Yeah. So it's just you and I this week. It's been a while since we've done a duo cast. It is. I kind of like this one because it's uh, we spend instead of just a few minutes at the beginning focusing on stuff we see in the community, we get to spend an hour doing it. Exactly. And I'm I feel saying. like whenever we're interviewing people, we are like so focused on that that it's kind of nice to have no pressure. We can just let things unravel. We don't have to learn a bunch of new things this week, which is great. Yeah, I hate learning. That's <laughs> <laughs> nah, always nice. But we hit a, hit a milestone on Monday. We love hitting those milestones, Jordan. What milestone did we hit, my man? 60,000 downloads. Ooh, rolls off the tongue. That's, yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's, yeah, it's uh, what have we been doing a year and a half now. Maybe not quite that. This has been a lot of fun. I have no clue how long we've done it. I just know we do it every single week. And we have for a long time. And it's it's cool. I've uh, seen more and more impact as time goes on. It's nice to know our consistent listeners. And I feel like at least now, whenever I speak to the audience or whatever, I kind of have a feel for who they are. I mean, you know, I've always been involved in the PowerShell community, but over the years, kind of hearing from certain people and understanding the different types of listeners we have, it's pretty cool. We got a lot of people who are early in their journey kind of, overwhelmed by things but learning slowly and there's other people who are at the top end of the game uh, whether they're working on some huge powershell projects or at microsoft or or whatever it is cool to be able to have such a wide-ranging audience well i think for especially those that are newer if we knock down the roadblock of getting over the nervous nervousness of reaching out to the community that's a huge win right there because that's a major hurdle to get through there's a lot of not so nice communities out there. So getting people to join in and take part as soon as possible, I think everyone benefits from it. I think so too. And it, it is definitely cool to see. Um, but, you know, learning PowerShell in the beginning can be a little overwhelming <laughs> if you're new to it, right? I don't know what it was like for you, but I definitely spent a good period of time in the data collection phase and not really implementing it, but just kind of getting a feel for, whoa, what is this whole new world that I had no clue existed? Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, it was a long process just because I didn't follow any of the best practices. It was, I want to do X and I'd go how to learn to do exactly X and the why. I wouldn't know why so much, but it was it was uh, not productive, but I got good enough at it after three years or so of doing it that way that uh, someone stepped in and said, hey, we're going to actually teach you PowerShell now, which was nice. Yeah, I think I was... I didn't believe that I could learn it. Like I would see some of the cool projects and just be in disbelief that like, oh, wow, these people are just built different. And giving myself the time and exposure to slowly take steps towards becoming more proficient in PowerShell was massively instrumental. So if you're listening to this and you're new, keep doing your thing, keep learning, keep trying new things, find some cool projects, keep listening to us. Any questions, PowerShellPDQ.com. We got your back. But Jordan, PowerShell security, it's a hot subject. One of our top guests ever, Fred, two-time guest on the podcast, recently did some YouTube stuff with us on the PDQ channel. He is going to be doing a security deep dive um, on Discord with our uh, Discord community for about an hour and a half, hands-on, uh, interactive, going over some awesome PowerShell security, how to lock things down in long form. And uh, if you want to join us on that, the link will be in our show notes. And at the time of this being posted, it's actually tomorrow. So it's Tuesday the 22nd. So uh, you have not much time to respond. Yeah, it's simply worth going into that one just because security is in power is different than I thought. As, as we've spoken to a few security conscious people in it. I've learned that even my basic understanding was inadequate. So learning all you can for that is not a bad idea. Especially in language mode is probably, yeah. And especially if you're in a format where you can ask questions and clarify and 
Fred is really good about that. And I'm going to hopefully help create an environment where people feel comfortable asking questions because I want to tap into that Fred Mellon. I want to get those secrets because he has a lot of experience in that, uh, that world of security. So always interesting stuff. And I have Fred approved on my German. He said I was technically correct, which as we all know is the best kind of correct. That is a fact. That is a fact. <laughs> yeah. Good old Fred. Now, Jordan, I got some exciting news. I am headed to Austin, somewhere. Texas. Yeah, I'm going to Spice World early September. I think the first date is September 5th. If you are listening to us and you are going to be at Spice World, hit me up. I'd love to meet some people, hang out. I know Sean Wheeler. Um, I know James Petty. I think Jeff Hicks might be there as well, but definitely interested in meeting some new people, hanging out. It'll be my first time there, so I'm not quite sure what to expect other than a good time and hopefully meeting some PowerShell friends. So keep your eyes if- out. If you do reach out to Andrew, I have one guarantee for you. You'll do stuff. Yes. <laughs> I do like Which, the socializing. <laughs> yeah. So if, if, you, uh, if you're unsure how to join into groups for socialization, Andrew's a great uh, pre-meet because you'll meet everybody. It's one of my favorite things is knowing people, knowing kind of where they are, and then connecting them with other people, um, you know, because you're not always going to be the be able to give the person their best answer for everything, but being able to connect people and kind of help them form friendships and stuff. Woo, love that stuff. Love uh, conferences for that reason. It kind of gets me charged up for the rest of the year. And I definitely miss my PowerShell people. Um, so sweet. Now we're going to get into our first article, Jordan, of today. And this one piqued my interest for reasons you might know if you've been listening for a while. I'm a Mac user now. Loving it. Me and Jim Truer, buddies on the Macs. But there is an article called The Case for PowerShell on Mac OS and Linux, which is a pretty cool little blog that kind of makes the case for using PowerShell on Mac and Linux. Um, so this seems like a good link for, you said you found a Reddit thread where someone asks, is there advantage for using PowerShell over Bash? Right, because the one common complaint we see when people from Unixy backgrounds or whatever talk about PowerShell is that it's way too wordy. Like, why are we going to write these super long commands? It's too much typing. And there is a Reddit thread. All this stuff will be in the show notes. But there is a Reddit thread where someone's like, are there any benefits to using PowerShell over Bash or ZSH in a Unixy OS? Um, I was quickly turned off by the long verb-name syntax since it's really verbose. However, PowerShell is about working with objects with shells, while shells like Bash are about working with streams of text. What do you think? And some great comments. Obviously, people are quick to highlight aliases and the fact that they exist. That is a big thing. Well, you can use them interactively. Don't save those in your scripts. Yes. That's a good distinction is don't use aliases for anything you're going to be saving and sharing with people. But if you're like really efficient, you want to save every keystroke, go for it. You know, you can create new aliases. You can use get alias to see what aliases already exist. And another really important thing to highlight is that this is a shell. So you have access to other commands. If you want to use ls, you can use ls. If you want to use grep, you could use grep. You can call it from PowerShell. Um, You don't have to use the PowerShell equivalent of everything. It can be helpful in some instances, but you know, you're not locked down to that. It's just a shell. It's a shell that you choose. And if you're comfortable and familiar and like objects, which are quite powerful once you learn to leverage them, PowerShell might be an option for you. But, you know, maybe in my opinion, PowerShell is the best. But I know that for not every use case, PowerShell is not the best. So if you have a super long background in some other language and it works well for you, keep rocking it. But uh, if you are having PowerShell skills or you have PowerShell in your environment, I highly recommend giving it a shot, taking advantage of it, because objects will blow your mind once you kind of get your head wrapped around it. It it is a game changer. I still use ipconfig, but I've never been in a role where I have to do mass amounts of work on anything IP related. So if I'm doing it, I'm looking on my individual machine. It's what I know when it's quick. I don't see myself changing. If I ever become a network admin, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Then I would probably look at uh, the, the PowerShell version of that. Yep. Agreed with that. Um, 
it's like mostly a troubleshooting tool. It's like, what's my freaking IP address again? What's the default gateway over here? But yeah, there are PowerShell equivalents that can be helpful. If you have like automated solutions that need to query something or you want to get information about your net adapters, whatever, you got PowerShell commands. You can use git command and find out more about them. But yeah, that's some good stuff. Hopefully there are more people who use PowerShell cross-platform because I personally am interested in that because I want as many modules as possible to be cross-platform so selfishly I can use them. That's kind of where I'm coming from. That That's a good enough reason. Indeed. Now, man, the internet's been buzzing. You know, people, they like new stories. They like uh, big headlines. What do you think about that? Are, are you talking about the Aquasec article? I mean, it'll, it'll catch your eyes, yeah. <laughs> PowerShell active flaws and PowerShell gallery expose users to attacks. Oh, my gosh. This sounds quite uh, intense, doesn't it? And off of that one article, 9,000 other articles have been written. Right. I feel like people are desperate to find the Achilles heel of PowerShell. Like anytime there's something that could be like a a game-changing break, they're desperate for it to be something more than it is. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds so good. And people have such interesting thoughts about it and you know it's used in a lot of attacks it's not uh the entry point but it is a tool that is frequently used by attackers so i kind of get it and you know i think that the article did have a couple good points but i you know definitely have some criticisms of the article itself um first thing we should state is that if you're using the powershell gallery in a work setting uh, well you need to be internalizing these modules, hosting them in your own repository, signing them if you need to, which is a great practice. And if you internalize them, you have a nice little CI CD for that. You can sign the modules and then only run signed modules. Be a good approach. So people that are, are, are corporations that are more mature along the pipeline of CI CD and they're using that are probably already extremely safe from anything that lists. You'd hope so. But I know that a lot of our audience may not have that stuff set up. So I'll say it's not that hard to host your own internal repo. On the low end where, you know, not as flexible, not as dynamic, you can just create one file share, but there's also services you can use and and pay small amounts of money for. I think some even have a free tier where you can have a gallery hosted and you just configure it on your boxes and they can install module from that repository rather than the PS gallery. Highly recommend that. Before we get into Microsoft response to that particular one, there's a much more succinct version that came from Justin Grody. What did he say? What did he, he say? Out, it's a bunch of FUD masquerading as security fluff. He, he was not impressed by the article. That was. <laughs> it's pretty fuddy. <laughs> I get, the overall point was the main component from that is not a security hole, more as a social engineering vulnerability. Yeah, Uh, I think that the main thing that they showed is typo squatting. So like if you wanted to get a module, you accidentally type in the slightly wrong name and then boom, you install a malicious module. Um, Okay, I mean, that's I think that's a good point. They also point to how NPM has some built in helpers to prevent typo squatting. So like if you have a module called module name, you'll have module dot name, module hyphen name. You know, all these kind of different variations to prevent typo squatting. I think that that is definitely a great quality of life improvement. I don't think you can consider things secure if you just have that. But I, I think that's a good point that they brought up. A lot of the other ones, um, not so good. I think, what was the one about, like, unlisted packages you could still see? What it, Did Justin say something about that? Yeah, that he, he basically said that they don't delete it by design, but if there's a security risk and you request them to delete it for that reason, they will. But it's they're worried about breaking if there's some sort of uh, dependency within that other module. So they don't delete for, for fear of breaking, but they will if you alert them and say, hey, I think there's a security issue. Right. And obviously I don't work for Microsoft, so I don't know everything that they do. But I recall a few years ago at PowerShell Summit, they talked about some analyzing that they do on packages that are hosted in the gallery to kind of make sure they're not super malicious or obfuscated. Again, don't, don't quote me on this. And... Microsoft had a response as of today, the time we're recording this, which is the 18th. 
Um, they said, we're aware of this report and have determined that it relies on social engineering to be successful. However, we've implemented some changes to help identify and remove these packages. We encourage users to report any packages they suspect are malicious via the report link on the package module. As always, we'll continue to monitor for malicious activity and we'll take defense in depth measures to help keep customers protected. Obviously, a little bit of a PR answer, but I think it kind of summarizes things. It felt like a much more polite way to say the exact same thing that Justin said, which, and reading through it, I agree. Like the, the social engineering making it easier is not good, but the outcry and the amount of ink spent on this, it's, it's, it's common whenever there's a, oh, there could be a security vulnerability. People are desperate to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Seems like a bit of a stretch. Um, but yeah, shout out to that. There's also, we'll have two links to this in the show notes. And uh, maybe we'll even throw a link to Justin Grody's comments as well. But I guess the main takeaway is check out getting your own PowerShell gallery hosted internally or, or repository for your modules internally. Sign them. Start that process. You got this. Now, Jordan, what we got next is actually pretty interesting. Um, I was chilling on the interwebs, and I saw Christian Ritter, a uh, friend of the podcast. He posted a cool little blog about creating empty PowerShell objects, PS custom objects, and covered a couple methods of doing that. Um, I believe he used select object. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Property names. So you take an object, you go to select object, and then for property, you just specify a bunch of property names, and then you get back an object with those properties that are empty. Simple enough, um, which was kind of cool. Cool little approach. But then I saw there's another article, Unlocking PowerShell Magic, Different Approach to Creating Empty PS Custom Objects. So a little community uh, interaction, a little learning from each other kind of thing. Very cool to see. Um, evotech.xyz wrote the Unlocking PowerShell Magic article, and he covers a different way of creating um, a PS custom object. And he actually uses an ordered dictionary, which is a pretty cool object if you're not familiar with it. It allows your properties to be in a specified order rather than just kind of random, which if you haven't run across this, it'll just file it in the back of your head for whenever you need objects organized. Check out the ordered dictionary. I've I've had to use order dictionary once and it was a game changer for me because the order the the way I get data back mattered on how I was putting it back into I was I was out collecting data and then putting it into a database. And the way I, I captured that data mattered. So having an order dictionary where I knew exactly where everything was gonna be saved me a lot of headache. It, so and I mean I'm sure there's more differences overall in that, but if the order doesn't matter, you're just grabbing things, PS custom object or order dictionary are fine. But if you want to have more control over that, then it's definitely worth doing. Yeah. I don't remember why I needed things ordered, but I did for some reason. And I wonder if it was for exporting to CSV, like you wanted it to be consistent. Anyways. Uh, for me, it was uh, putting data into a time series database. Right. I just need, I just needed a lot of, I don't know. I did a, a webcast on a while ago that it's been long enough now. I can't remember the main reason. I just remember it was a sticking point until order dictionaries and it fixed all my issues. And also I feel like there's a certain type of personality or type of person that will want order dictionary. They just want things ordered in the right way, the way that they expect it, you know, just a little peculiar in that way, which is totally fine because we have it for you. Order dictionary, check it out. Um, we got some more stuff to cover, but Jordan, you and I, we did some power shelling and, and checked out a new project. I think it was last week or earlier this week. Got a chance to dive into crescendo. crescendo. How was it? So we both struggled out the gate. And then once we figured out what we were missing, it was extremely easy. Yeah. So the I guess the goal for that one is let's, let's let's get to straight to the point of how do you make it easier and where we struggled is we were following the learn Microsoft documentation mm -hmm. for building it and it goes over it builds a object and then from that they run a command that converts it into the uh, converts it into a different object and then from there you can make it into a JSON which builds the module and 
every time we got to the point where the JSON to the module, we were getting empty. It was blank. And I think we, we struggled that for a while. And then we started looking at other people that were talking about it. And we noticed our JSON was different. Yeah, I think they had some property or something like that that we didn't. They were specifying the schema up top. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I used uh, Sean Wheelers and I'm going to go f- find actual so I can give the proper name for it. Yeah, you checked out his repo. Yeah, my crescendo journey where he talks about it. And then he actually has a blank template of what the JSON that he copied from a different blog was. And so I I basically did the same thing. I went to his repo and I copied a lot of that. And then I just reconfigured it for my own means. And once you understand the flow of the JSON, it's easy to build new and new commands. So it's right. like, like I said, the barrier for us, like that first thing, I don't know if we just missed something in the documentation or it just wasn't clicking for us, but we both struggled. Yep. And then we just found the the right version of words between Sean Willer's blog and Stephen Valdinger's talk on Crescendo. Yep. And then now it's it's pretty easy once you understand what he's doing to go through and make all the customization. Definitely. It's a pretty cool framework. And for those who don't know, um, PowerShell Crescendo, it is a framework to rapidly create PowerShell commandlets that wrap command line tools. So instead of getting text in return, you would use... Uh, PowerShell Crescendo to give yourself a PowerShell command that returns an object. And like you're saying, Jordan, once you get past that initial, like, wait, how do I make these pieces connect? Because it is a framework. It's not just running a PowerShell command. It's a little bit more than that. You need to kind of craft some JSON files, make sure you know what you're looking for. When you put it all together, man, it's pretty sweet and actually not very hard to use. Like, pretty simple. And I could imagine people could get into a flow of then being able to use this quite regularly, quite quickly, quite simply. So I definitely recommend people check it out if they haven't yet. Yeah, I spent most of this week out sick, so I didn't complete our module, but we were uh, we were turning our products, basically the command line for our products into a PowerShell module. Yeah, for deploying inventory. And but and that's just for the intro. It goes pretty deep too. If you follow through on the bottom of the link we'll put there, Sean covers all the stuff he does. Like he uses like the output handler or converting strings to objects like he goes into far more detail on his crescendo journey so if you're looking from beginning to end like a deep dive sean's series is fantastic yeah and one cool thing is that even though you need to write it in powershell 7 whatever module you create can work in 5.1 and higher but and i gotta say writing json like that man i feel fancy (laughs) It, this is definitely one you want to be using VS Code or some kind of proper editor. You don't want to be writing this in the ISE. I guess you can't because it's PowerShell 7. But The nice thing with VS Code is when you specify the schema up top like you're supposed to, like when you start filling out the parameters, it starts guiding you there as well. It makes it even easier. Can we take this as an opportunity to talk to all of our PowerShell ISE friends who are using it still? I know there's a lot of them. There are. And, you know, if it works, it works. But it might be worth checking out VS Code a little bit, particularly as I feel like the industry and tech at large is requiring more than just knowing PS1. Like, interacting with JSON files is something that seems to be more and more common. And other kind of different files for whatever, connecting to different clouds or, or whatever you have going on. And having an editor for all of that is very helpful. And not only that, having that editor... And being comfortable with source control like Git. Those two together are just going to make you doing the right thing a bit easier. Um, Because you really should be using source control for security reasons, for usability reasons. Um, I think that there just aren't... A lot of people who listen to us are on GitHub and are, are using Git regularly, whatever. But I think a lot of people still haven't taken that jump. Um Maybe that's on us to kind of make that barrier a little bit easier. But I think that if you're listening to this right now, check out VS Code, check out Git. You know, it's not as complicated as it seems. Maybe we'll uh, throw a talk in the description in the show notes so you can have a little uh, way to get started. Maybe we need to host a lunch and learn for using Git and VS Code. But what do you think about that, Jordan? Should people be using VS Code? I mean, absolutely. It's I was one of the... Longest holdouts for ISE, and it comes from my love of defaults. I didn't feel the need to change. And another reason that held me out was for a while there, there was a lot of 
buggy issues with the PowerShell uh, plugin for VS Code, which those went away with using the PowerShell preview, but now most of those things from preview are in. So it's, it is now a solid month. There's no reason not to. And the more you go into your PowerShell journey, the more likely you're going to need the other things that we talked about, whether it's you're using Git or you're using JSON. The, there's going to be more opportunity to expand out the more you use PowerShell. So already being familiar with a new script editor is just going to save you time. Definitely. It is a tool that will scale in your tool belt. I love thinking. I love investing time in things that last, whether that's writing a tool that's written the right way so it'll keep providing value, or whether that's learning a tool like PowerShell or VS Code. You can keep in your tool belt and probably use it your next job and your next job and throughout your career. And there are alternatives to VS Code if, if that's not up your alley. Now, VS Codium is another project that has no Microsoft telemetry, but it's basically just VS Code. I don't know if you remember, but back during the pandemic, we did a webcast about uploading things into Git with VS Code. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great minds think alike. Yeah, so you're doing that one. I was... Let's see, I was running my kitchen table and our entire webcast was running off of a NUC. Oh, I remember that. Yes, you could cook like an egg on that NUC. It was so It hot. was overheating. I had to go get uh, my whiskey stones out of the freezer and put it on top to try to cool it down because right. it was getting hot. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it just highlights how important it is. It's not some kind of new flash in the pan. This has been around for a while, developing efforts into it, has a lot of value, definitely worth checking out. And you'll probably hear us say this again because it's a good next step for so many people. It really is the area I should be focused on improving because I can use it, but not near to the level that I should be able to. Yeah, I feel you there. We should do a lunch and learn on it and then give us the excuse to learn by teaching. One of the best ways to learn. As we've heard. Let's talk about the community call. Oh, man, what a good community call. When is the community call? And what is the community call? What is all this stuff? You, tell me what it is. Third Thursday of every month. Whoa, Power- alliteration. Love it. Yeah. PowerShell community gets together, and they talk about what's new PowerShell. It's a good, uh, chance to listen to those that are working on PowerShell daily within Microsoft, or they get to highlight some things. It's just it's a great way to engage with the community. Definitely. There are people from Microsoft. I think most of the PMs do a little presentation about kind of like what's new. Often get to hear from Michael Lombardi. Always a pleasure. He's been crushing it on some DSC documentation, by the way. And that leads me into my next point, which is shout out Michael Green. Uh, He was, James Brundage did a little presentation about what he was looking at. And Michael Green let it slip that he listened to the PowerShell podcast and heard about a thing or two. And that is so cool. It made my day. Thank you so much, Michael Green, for listening. We need to get you on the podcast to have a nice little interview. So I will reach out to you through social media or some other means and get you on the podcast. Because I know there's a lot of very exciting things coming to DSC that I would love to hear from someone who's a bit more close to it. But third Thursday of every single month. And also, shout out James Brundage, his new Posh project. I've been hearing quite a bit of buzz around it. Obviously, I saw his presentation, but I think someone tagged me in some tweets um, where they were talking about checking it out. It's kind of like a shell enhancer, or I don't know exactly what to call it, but we should probably get him on again to uh, talk about that. Yeah, I had the opportunity to talk to him a lot, like out in the the lobby during Summit, mm-hmm. and he was genuinely excited about some of the things that he's working on. Like it's, and if he's excited, I definitely want to see it because that, that guy makes fantastic stuff yep i love it i love the people who have powershell modules and not only do they have modules they have like a suite like a software suite that kind of interacts together nicely and all really good code fred comes to mind as one of those as well who has just like a suite of software basically um evotech we mentioned his blog earlier he has a suite of modules we should probably get him on as well um, I guess we can use this as an opportunity to say, if you have speaker suggestions, you think we should get, especially people we haven't had, especially maybe some ladies of the community, some people from countries we haven't covered yet, hit us up, PowerShell at PDQ.com. You can find me on social media at Andrew Plotek if you just want to DM me there. Um, but I'd love to find some new faces. 
you know, we mentioned the day, but not the time of the community call. The third Thursday. Oh, there's a time. It's not all day. 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. Okay. And you know what? We'll put a link to the GitHub repository that includes previous month's recordings. Woohoo! We did it. We're professionals. Yes. And Jordan, your mic is getting a little robotic, but that's okay. We're here oh, for oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I, am, I am on Wi-Fi, and it is not going great. Your daughter is downloading this is, this is, those Minecraft textures? She's at school, so I hope not. Oh. She has a <laughs> VPN set up back to her own computer, and she's, you taught her well. I, you know, I would encourage that kind of ingenuity. I wouldn't even be mad. It'll serve her well in the long run, for sure. So there's another Reddit question that we saw that had some really good engagement. The Ooh, Reddit, how do you, I love that Reddit. Yeah, how do you, how do you all get a good grasp on PowerShell? Oh, that's a good question. I think we kind of mentioned it earlier, not how to actually do it, but like the struggle of there's so much, right? PowerShell's been out for a long time. Yeah, he said on PowerShell and all the modules, which in, in Reddit is bad terms because people are going to take that literally. Some people in there is like, nobody knows all the modules. But I, I think more to his point of, you know, how do you find the modules you're looking for? Anyways, there's a lot of, in the, like a Platypus of Wall Street was in there. He gave a, a lot of breakdown about the things that he did to help him learn. Awesome. Yeah, I think I gave a reply, which was basically read documentation. Um, if you have a project you're trying to learn, check out the GitHub if they have one to read me. Check out the Get Help for the commands. Hopefully, it's a well-done module that has descriptive help. Um, reach out to the community. If you are trying to solve a particular problem, pretty low chance you're the first person to ever come across that, especially earlier in your journey. So just by being connected with PowerShell Discord, being on the Reddit for PowerShell, um, there's also the Slack you could you could hit up. Um, you know, being connected with those is a great way to see what is kind of best practice. What are people actively successfully doing, right? You get to interact with some people who are making their, uh, buttering their bread with PowerShell consultancy and are quite proficient. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say shout out Chris Hunt for doing so much awesome work in the PowerShell Discord. He is often recommended to us as a potential speaker and he's been crushing it. So if you have questions, get involved in the community. They'll point you in the right direction. And many people, from my experience, are very happy to share that information. If you are asking from a genuine place and have actually put a little thought into researching it yourself a little bit to see if it's an easy answer, I think people are really receptive to that. What about you? What do you think? How do you get a good grasp on it all? Yeah. I'm still waiting. Yeah, you have a, I think many people would say you have a very good grasp. If you're able to sit down and write PowerShell code, there's no doubt you have a good grasp of it. Like That's a very daunting task to many people. I, I feel like all of these, I, I have a, a wide body of water, but it's all very shallow. That's helpful. <laughs> that's helpful. It really is to have like kind of a starting point and have that context of a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, the main thing is don't do what I do and spend three years going it alone that's <laughs> i think that that's where a lot of people are a lot of people are at that spot where they're the only one at work who wants to learn powershell who maybe knows a little bit they're the only one so the only engagement that they can get to guide them in the right direction is through community endeavors through user groups through maybe listening to our podcast active on community forums and stuff like that that is their way of doing it. So if you're not connected with a source of authority or people who maybe know better than you about certain things, you really are doing yourself a disservice. And it'll just make your life easier and your professional career more successful if you reach out. And things like uh, user groups, and they're more online now mm -hmm. with recent changes. So there's a whole series of user groups that you can get access to. You might have been unavailable before there's the, the community is readily available it's just looking in the right spots i guess yep shout out the new york powershell user group they're always doing their thing rtp sug gotta gotta check them out they're always doing some regular stuff um and very friendly right these aren't just great sources of technical authority these are good people these are people who have a lot of the same values that you hear us espouse on this podcast about 
trying to help others, learning through teaching, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's a really positive sign to get engaged in those communities. It can lead to a lot of really good things. I think one point that I've echoed a lot of, a lot of times on this podcast is that you need to put yourself out there, right? You need to go to these user groups to potentially make new contacts, make new friendships and relationships. And um, if you do that kind of thing, as you've heard from a lot of our guests over the episodes, it can lead to amazing things and it can put you on a journey that you never thought you'd go on, but it's uh, really rewarding and can change your life slash career because if you make more money, it just really can change people's lives in a pretty big way. So it's so cool that we get to even play just a small role in some people's journey, right? Even just a little bit of encouragement here and there and to see people get success as we have over the course of our podcast. How cool is that been to be like, see always, people grow through their journey. It's fun to hear when we get like someone excited about new position they got or, or moving on. It's always fun. It is really cool, man. And gosh, there's no community better. I, it's been such a life changer for me to be involved in the PowerShell community. And I am so thankful uh, to everyone involved in it, for everyone who gave me chances, who helped me out, who taught me things. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I didn't expect to go here with this podcast, but man, it really is special, something that we have here in this PowerShell community. And shout out to everyone listening who's kind of long for the ride with us. So I'll tell you what, what I like about the, the podcast is going to be a different take on yours. Okay. I love to be a part of the community. I can't get past my social anxiety for it. So this way, instead of directly talking to people, I feel like I'm talking at them. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they hear, but it makes me feel like a, a part of the community when normally I can't join in the conversation. It's a constant struggle for me. So this has actually been a big help for me. I, I've been able to meet and talk to people that I never would have been able to. I totally can relate to that, man. The quality of guests. And over time, when you interview so many different people, it kind of becomes normalized a little bit. Like, you know, these really good technical people, like they kind of just, it doesn't, I don't have that rock star quality with people anymore. I'm just like, oh, that's just a human who has, is good at some things, certainly not good at everything. Nobody is. But to be able to see them be their authentic selves and, be along for the ride and all the bumps. And, and so many people are throughout this journey. When you get to the point when you're probably joining us on a podcast, maybe speaking at events or whatever, you know, there's been a lot of personal victories people have had to have and like kind of internal battles. I know that we deal with them sometimes on the podcast where it's like, oh my gosh, this is a, this is stressful. And a lot of people are going through that where, when they join us on the podcast, when they post their blogs and, to kind of be growing together collectively is super cool. And yeah, we're all at different places. That's all right. But we're still, we're not alone. We're not alone, which is a really cool thing. It is the best community on the planet. And all our people that are also part of the SQL community that say they're equal, they're just going to have to come to terms with, they're part of the first and second best communities, but PowerShell is the clear one. Hey, your word's not mine. I'll tell you what, I'm glad that there's PowerShell's not the only good community out there. Um, it definitely strengthens us to have other communities that are adjacent and also positive, healthy, you know, striving for the right thing. Obviously, not everyone is on the same page for everything, but in general, I think the vibe, the vibes are good in PowerShell. Yeah, community doesn't mean everyone has to agree on everything. Exactly. But it, it, the important thing is, is there is a non-confrontational way to approach the disagreements where you still come out with a better result. And it's cool. Cause like, that's our observation, whatever that's, that's just us. But then you talk to a lot of our guests and you hear that their takeaways from their career have often been like, Hey, I need to be kinder. I need to be more receptive to other opinions. It's really cool to see that from so many different people. Um, people who come across as kind people who come across as maybe more reserved they all kind of have realized that treating others with kindness and being open to other opinions and perspectives is really beneficial to their career and to just work in general. Yeah, with the, the common parameter questions about the what's one bit of advice you give your younger self, mm-hmm. I've been surprised at how rarely it's technical advice. Yep. Because, dude, humans are such humans. We all struggle with things um, internally and that are so common that aren't specific to technology, right? Growing, 
learning, being vulnerable, learning to say, I don't know the answer. I think for so many people who grew up at a certain time or whatever, it's hard to say, I have no clue. I'm actually not an expert at that. Um, especially in IT, whenever I got into it, it felt like the vibe was like, we are smart. We must do. We know everything. We can Google it all by ourselves for six years, which was where my head was at for a long time. Yeah, and 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 I guess part of the younger advice is, if you're in IT, technical probably is just coming to you easier. So the the advice for technical is not so necessary because you figure that's going to come along the way anyway. So the advice is how to be, I don't know, bet, better person or more receptive person is almost always there. Yeah, because being good technically, you run into the same roadblocks as everyone we've talked to. If you can't deal with the people, you can't implement the cool technical stuff, right? You're going to have to work with HR. You're going to have to work with other coworkers who use your tools or whatever the case may be. You're going to have to work on those skills to be ultimately successful and also not frustrated, right? Because I think many people have been in the position where they've like, oh, this is the right answer. I know it's the right answer. But the person listening and who's like kind of involved in it doesn't see it that way. Um, I know I've been there many times where I've just left frustrated, like, oh, they didn't see it and kind of had the mentality of like blaming them when in reality, it's like, I probably could have communicated that better. Or maybe there's reasons be, I don't know about. You can be 100% right and it doesn't matter if you can't communicate it clearly. Yep. Yep. And I know this all relates to work, but really it relates to our quality of life. You know, like the life we live, one life. Uh, you're going to want to have a good life experience and being kind to yourself and being kind to others is going to lead you in that direction. So I don't know, man, it's cool. I, I love the whole work thing. I love the whole technical solutions, but it's also really cool to see the real life impact, you know, outside of the eight to five or nine to five. But yeah, hey, that was a nice little, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised you uh, managed to lead us into some, Soft skills and areas. That's, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. You know, it's just because for me, efficiency, right? Like I love efficiency and writing efficient scripts, but also like this stuff, if it's efficient, okay, it's going to work for multiple perspectives. It's going to work for your career. It's going to work for your other relationships because anyways, we won't go too deep, but the, the more to the core things are like all relationships applies to work relationships, applies to family relationships and personal and blah, blah, blah. Like all that stuff is where it's at. Um, we need some axioms from Justin. That's what they're called. Axioms, those little phrases that kind of sum up true things. Is that what yeah, they're called? He's, yeah. He's got a lot of those. I need some of those. Yeah. We need like a button, like drop an axiom. <laughs> and so we, we, we have an official request, Justin, if you could, Record yourself just with a bunch of axioms that we can put into a soundboard. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. Love that. Good old Justin dropping the wisdom. <laughs> Jordan, right. well, I don't know. Should we do some best practices, like for those, like hey, maybe yeah. things that uh, people should be doing or most likely are doing? Ooh, most, some are, some aren't. I tell you what, you know. Um, not everyone implements the best practices because it can be hard mentally to wrap your head around like, I'm already struggling to just get the code to run. And now you want me to think about the mechanism that the code runs in and the stuff around it. It can be a lot for somebody. Um, but before we get to that, could I bring up one more thing? Always. So there's another Reddit thread I thought was really interesting and relevant. Retaining knowledge, trouble recalling information. Uh, it's a long one. Uh, Hi guys, as a background, I've been working in IT for a few years now, five years of experience. Before this, I worked at a startup while I was doing a good amount of coding for an actual product, but that was a long time ago. I use a lot of PowerShell to try and automate tasks and build processes that have a functionally more smooth and work efficient methodology, since we work on big new projects that have sometimes a lot of repetitive configurations. Yes, we are a bit behind on the endpoint management in our environment, and it is slow churning, so I turned to my scripting and automation to get some work done faster. My question is, how are some of you retaining some of this information? I know that my process is basically solve problem manually, figure out how it works backwards within the confines of the environment, find commandlets and modules that support breaking it into pieces, develop the method in PowerShell, or sometimes use Python for broader data type stuff, develop a more refined solution, test slash QA on a single device, then scale to multiple devices, 
test it again, keep code and use whenever I need to. So the issue this person is having is just remembering syntax patterns. And there are so many properties in pipeline flow, just randomly commandlets. I come back to some code I wrote a few months ago, and it looks like hieroglyphics, maybe due to poor commenting and organization. I don't really do this every day, so it comes and goes, and it is getting a bit frustrating as I'm a bit older as well. I found I was retaining stuff better in the past with different languages, but I was also younger, and that was my main job. Any thoughts would be appreciated. So what do you think about that, Jordan? I mean, that's a tough one because by his own admission, this is stuff that he's using infrequently. And even if you're doing, if you're writing code constantly, going back and looking at what you did three weeks ago is going to look weird to you. So the fact that he's doing infrequently alone is, I, I don't know of a method where that's going to stick around. I have one. Okay. So I was in a similar position to this where it was like new project, you got to automate it and then move to the next one regularly for whatever internal process or software or whatever we had. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I love efficiency. One thing that's not efficient or reliable is relying on memory, right? You could, it's just bad because you might not even be there. So like your memory could be perfect, but if you're at a new job in a year, you're not serving anyone well and you're not really being a responsible employee if you're not documenting things, in my opinion. So my solution would be good documentation, maybe even training. And what I did for myself regularly was I recorded a video, a screen recording of the process for myself with my narration and uploaded that to the whatever documentation system we had internally and used that as a reference guide because uh, when you pair documentation with actual seeing it being done, super helpful. So that's what I would say is get in the habit of having good documentation where you cover the process at a high level. Like you, you have a lot of moving pieces, they're saying, pipelines and this and that. High level, what's going on? And then you could break things down. And probably if their code looks like hieroglyphics, something might be a little bit wonky with maybe the way they're writing it. Maybe they could benefit from a code review. But if they're the only one who has those automating skills, they're going to have a tough time. But anyways, documentation is so helpful for forgetting things. I think we talk to guests all the time. They're like, oh, I just Google my own article. That's what I do. If I learn something important, I'm just going to write a blog about it or some documentation and refer to it later. So check out some documentation. And also, bringing it back to the Jeff Hicks interview, PowerShell is a language. So the more you speak it, the more fluent you are with it, the more easily you'll be able to read something you've written and Get up to speed and realize, oh, here's what I'm doing. It'll read more to you like English than hieroglyphics. Yeah. But it comes down to where he said he does it. It's probably because the job doesn't require it a whole lot. Like, So I guess if he wants to start spending his free time doing PowerShell, but if that's not where your heart is, it's not where it is. It's... Yeah. I Ideally, well, what do you think about this? Learning at work. Like, How much... Do you think work should encourage you to learn while during work hours versus doing it on your own time? Well, my, mine's a little bit different because my entire job is around learning. Fair. Like every week it's, I'm doing a podcast or a webcast that it's either something that I already know, but I'm learning a new thing so I can give a presentation of it live. So my job is either writing a blog or learning so I can talk about it on the camera. So for me, hundred percent of it, but for most jobs, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I think that a healthy job will encourage a certain amount of learning on the job, right? It's expected for the role. You're going to have to learn things and doing that only outside of office hours is not expected. But also if you're taking your career seriously and you're viewing your career as more than just your work responsibilities and maybe you have longer term goals. I think that getting into a healthy pattern of studying on your own time is going to serve you well. Now, if you're burnt out and you're at your limit and your job is really taxing you, it's going to be tough to squeeze that in. And I don't think that it's always a good thing to just work harder, harder, harder when your brain's involved. Um, you got to make sure you're taking care of yourself because you'll forget more and it'll just be super stressful. You get burnt out. We want to avoid burnout. It's not productive. Well, it benefits companies to encourage employees to learn because more often than not, they're going to learn a skill that they're going to apply to the job. So yes. 
in some cases, like, oh, we'll, we'll pay for certification. That's nice. But I think you're right. Opening up some time, it's like, hey, we want you to time block a learning window. I think that would be extremely valuable. And I bet a lot of people don't do it because, you know, we all feel the pressure of getting work done. We all feel the pressure of like, oh, there's so much stuff I want to get it done. And I know for me, I sit down and sometimes I don't get up during lunch. I just keep working because I just feel that sometimes. Um, but maybe having a conversation with your manager and saying, hey, I really want to work on these cloud skills. I know we have Azure, but I want to start spending some time, not related to projects I'm currently working on, but just getting a better feel for it. I, I have a feeling a lot of managers would be a little bit supportive of that if you came at them in the right way and asked for 45 minutes a day. Like, hey, could I spend the first 45 minutes of the day working on this and then pivot? And if you're working hard and getting things done and making your work visible, I, I think it should be a good conversation. I hope it is, at least. If you have a manager who's tighter than that, sorry. If it's if it's straight to a, a negative response. I mean, if you go in there saying, hey, I want to learn how to juggle butcher knives... I, I understand your advantage is like, well, that's something to do on your own time. <laughs> right. But if you're going in, it's like, hey, we have, if you, as you said, we have X component that I feel like we're in the server. I'd like to learn more about that. They should be encouraging you to spend time at the company to learn more about it because the company benefits. Completely. And I, another benefit is like, you don't want to have employees. To eat. You want to have employees for a long time, often, right? They have institutional knowledge and can be helpful and can be leaders, but you don't want those people to not have learned anything in the time they're at your company because then you're just not going to be bringing that helpful perspective all the time. Not that it's not helpful, but like, you know, understanding the current technology and options out there is going to be beneficial to your job uh, when it comes to making choices and conversations and things like that. So I guess our unintended takeaway from this is, hey, go to your boss and say, I want to start learning. Maybe, maybe I mean, approach it better. <laughs> I think it's important to realize your boss kind of works for you in a certain way. Obviously, you work underneath them, but part of the role of your boss is to help you succeed at your job and make you make a, a job you want to work at. Obviously, they can't change everything. But if you're talking to your boss regularly and have an open, like, hey, I want to become more senior. I really want to work on it. You can be having conversations with them about what skills you need to acquire. I think what I've done in my career uh, earlier on is that I would just work hard and think eventually I'd get there. Well, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So when you start having conversations, not entitled conversations where you're like, I need this, give me this. When you have a conversation like, hey, I want to work and become this. What projects, like how can we work on that together? If you're on the same page as your manager, they're probably going to be um, a little bit more invested in granting you opportunities like learning on the job occasionally. And there's another part where your manager should be invested in you further in your career. Otherwise they're bad at their job. Yeah. Well, you got to think the managers, they want their employees to work hard. And when you're invested and feel connected with your job, you're more likely to work on it. When you feel dejected and like shut off from it, you're probably not going to work quite as hard intentional or otherwise. So shout out to all the good managers out there. I know we got a lot of managers listening, um, IT managers and whatnot. So keep doing your thing. Create good relationships and, and run it up. Yeah, empower your employees. The other, the other advantage of empowering your employees to better themselves is you can find the ones that have no interest in it. Yep. It's uh, it, it, it's uh, nothing but advantages for for the manager and honestly I, everyone has different budgets and everything but just open up the window saying hey yeah spend an hour here is i think valuable boom and jordan i sorry we went on a bit of a detour but i think let's cover some of those let's cover let's cover some of those best practices what what kind of stuff do we have out there obviously i'm not going to cover every single best practice for every single thing powershell related but let's, let's guide people in the right direction here my man I mean, the main one we've covered a few times already, uh, source control. Use it. Use it or lose it. You don't want to lose your scripts. Use source control. Yeah. If, if your scripts are did cool thing dot one, did cool thing dot two, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're going to have trouble. And it's, you pay now a little bit or you pay later a lot bit. Eventually, not using source control will bite you big time. And we talk about efficiency and doing things the right way, using source control is just doing things the right way. That's what it is. Um, you should do things the right way, and it will benefit you. And Invest that time to learn Git and GitHub or whatever tools you use in your environment. I'll also say that using source control 
helps with maintaining your scripts, but also it allows you some entry points into using CI/CD stuff. So um, it, it will allow you to sign your scripts, to do some tests on them, all that kind of stuff. It's the first step in that way. And for some more advanced security configurations, um, you're going to want to be signing your scripts. And it gives you a nice mechanism for doing that regularly. And shout out to Fred. He recommends this is like the first step that people take um, towards PowerShell security is at the very least get things checked into source control. Um, it's a good one. Another one we covered, avoid using aliases where? In scripts. Boom. Or modules or whatever. But yeah, in script-based files, don't use them because you don't want to be reading hieroglyphics like we read on Reddit earlier. You want to be reading words, verb, noun. Keep it simple. But So my, my mentor for this one, he was a big fan of aliases. He has a bunch of blogs out there where he uses aliases. And part of after he hired me, his struggle to stop using them was real because it's a learned behavior. So there'd be several times where he would just write something as he would write it. Then he'd look through it's like, oh crap, I have to go and make all these changes to remove aliases. So it's, it is a learned behavior. So if you do use aliases often, this is why even I said on your own, I'm not a big fan of it just because what you do is what you're going to, what you practice, what you're going to do. So if you're doing your, one off right and one liners and you're using aliases, they're going to work through writing the scripts too. Luckily VS code does say, Hey, that's an alias. Don't do that. And that's very useful. Yep. Yep. VS code can definitely help out with that. Your CI CD can check that kind of thing as well. And with one, you know, click of a couple buttons, you can replace all of them. Um, so I think some people are going to really gravitate towards using aliases and make sure that when you're just presenting it to other people's eyes, they don't have to, because a lot of people don't know all the aliases. It's just essentially like making you learn more commands if you memorize all the alias, which is okay. The reason that PowerShell is so verbose is so it is a readable language and doing aliases removes that. Yep. Yep. There are definitely trade-offs, um, but don't save it in your scripts, people. Don't share it to the internet easier either. Make it easy on us. Okay. Now I have a question on that though. All right. What do you think about select object as being an exception to that rule? Because I know everyone says, you know, full command names, but I've also seen a couple of more advanced PowerShellers who think that select object is an exception. You just use select and then specify the properties. What do you think about that? It's kind of like a gray line for me. I, I guess I don't have strong, strong opinions on it. I guess I never thought of it as an alias. I've used select often and I know VS code tells me it should be select object, but I don't make that change. So I guess I stand on the side that that's an exception. I think maybe SQL plays into that a little bit, like the select statement maybe, or maybe yeah. it's in other languages too, but. Yeah, it's just one I never really thought about in the general sense. It doesn't bother me because select is still readable. Mm -hmm. And the whole point for me with not using aliases is it should be readable for people. So it doesn't impact that at all. But I don't know. It's an interesting one. We should have the community chime in. Yeah, community chime in. If you're on YouTube, let us know. If you're on uh, wherever you are, if you can drop a comment, drop it. If not, email us PowerShell at pdq.com. I'm curious. Do you need to use select-object or is just using select acceptable? Let the people decide. Okay. I, I didn't even realize I'd picked a side on a debate there. <laughs> Here I am. Here you are. <laughs> no. Another one that's related to scripts is using positional parameters, AKA not using the dash parameter name whenever you're typing out commands, um, like get content and then a file name. Uh, you'd want to use the dash file name property. Assuming get content has that. I don't know, I'm just speaking from, from my mouth here. But yeah, don't use positional parameters. Be specific, because not everyone who's going to read your scripts is going to know exactly the default parameters for these. I guess that makes sense. I guess we found mm -hmm. another area. I'm not, what is it? Is this best practices or things Jordan's doing wrong? <laughs> I think that they're pretty common things that a lot of people do. So, and I think I do them too sometimes because if you write PowerShell enough, you have a good feel for the default parameters. And oftentimes people who write the commands make it make sense what the default parameter is. But don't make assumptions in scripts because not good. I, I guess I'm I'm to the point and this is just, that's the problem is I'm looking at it from a me perspective, not a community. If, mm -hmm. if I don't see a parameter from it, I just assumed it's the 
the necessary parameter that it takes to pass on and I just yep. move on. But yeah, I guess th- thanks for pointing out more of my flaws, Andrew. This has been a lot of fun. All right. What about, so you have an object and it has some properties, right? Now we talked about select object or using select and that allows you to select objects of a property, uh, properties of an object, excuse me. What do you think about using like select object versus just using the dot property names, like variable dot property name, rather than variable pipe it to select object dash property name property? I mean, I'm fine with that one. That's I, I do that more often, I think, than not. Yep, I I think that dot accessing properties is is way better and cleaner. Um, and again, that's just variable name dot property name, and then you can access a property. Well, and it's also already in a common use. Like if you're doing a for each and you're looking within, you have the dollar sign underscore dot. You oh, can call yeah. it the property for that one. So it's already a common thing within a function of a script. Yep. Where it doesn't feel like that much of a stretch to also use it for your objects that are in a variable. Yeah, I agree with you there. What about backticks? What's the deal with those? I think most people use those for a line break and you shouldn't. A line break for parameters in particular is where I've seen it. It's like they do the, there's like five parameters and they just do a backtick enter dash parameter name, backtick enter dash parameter name. What should they do instead? I mean, anymore I've noticed with some of them, you don't even need the backtick. You just hit enter and put on a new line and it reads just fine for each new one. But for if you're piping together commands, yeah. You put the pipe at the end and then follow up with the new command. But for properties on a command, if you're going to send, like, say some command has five parameters that you need to give it, I recommend splatting for that. Help about underscore splatting to learn all about this. But splatting is a way of using a hash table to pass a bunch of parameters to a command in a pretty clean way. And if you haven't ever splatted before, you should start splatting for and I think using it for anything with like three or more parameters is just cleaner, cleaner to do it that way. So splatting is one of those, uh, the first time in PowerShell I tested something and it yep. blew my mind that it just worked. And it was, uh, I was, I was working with another person. We we're trying to, I can't remember the script, which is how unimportant all the rest of it was, but we're getting a whole bunch of data back and we had, had the splats. So we could put all the parameters in there, but we're when can you make an array of splats? And the answer is yes, and that seemed really cool. Exactly. Yeah, and you can combine splats, and you can have like default parameters to splat that every single command is going to have, and then you can have one for... It's just cool. It scales well. It works low. It's good for readability, but also if you're writing modules with complex parameter sets and things like that, it can be helpful. Another one that I still see on the internet, because I'm on those forums, I'm on Spiceworks, and I'm reading people doing PowerShell stuff, and people are still recommending get... WMI object win32 underscore product, which can cause some issues. You don't want to use win32 product. Um, instead of that, you're going to want to check get child item, HKLM software, uh, Microsoft Windows current version uninstall, get item property, and then just look at the display name and uninstall string. I, I think that's a, a double bad because they're using that, but they shouldn't be using get sim instance. Yes. Object. That's but, another good one. If you're using Git WMI object, get out of here. Get sim instances where it's at. All right, so we got that. We've we've gone enough down my my spiral of shame here. I think we'll I'm, I'm 70 percent failing on <laughs> best practices. I picked some common ones, so it makes sense. Makes sense. Awesome. All right. Well, I mean, what do we have next? What do we got? Well, I mean, this is normal where we do the common parameters, but okay. I don't know if we are doing that with just the two of us here. Let's just pick a module. Pick a module. What's the module you want to shout out? A module I want to shout out? Ooh, just because no it's notice. The, it's the one we've been using. I just say crescendo. Oh, I was going to say crescendo. Well, you shouldn't have given me first choice. Oh, god. Because like I said, the initial learning curve, which I assume was just me not reading the documentation fully, was steep. But once it was going, it was pretty straightforward. I think we'll just leave it with Crescendo. Check it out. It's it's a really cool framework. Um, definitely worth checking out. And it's just fun to kind of wrap some EXE or different tools and make them PowerShelly. Well, Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but you're a bit of a celebrity. 
<laughs> the community. But uh, what I know for a fact is you are the world's greatest shill master in the universe. Oh, no one has, will, or can ever do this better than you do it. And for those that have stuck around with us for this hour or so, we have a special treat for them. They get to sit here and listen to you shill the podcast. Take mm. it away, Andrew. And shill I will. Thank you so much, Jordan. A duo cast. We brought it to you. You know, we're off work today, but we cannot miss an episode. We don't want to. We love our listeners. We love our viewers. Thank you for listening. Thank you for viewing. You are a friend of the podcast. If you've been on this journey with us, we've gone to some different places. We've covered some best practices. We've covered Reddit questions. We've gone over security nightmares. And we covered a lot of kind of community-related stuff. It's been awesome. So if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice, drop us a five-star review and say a little comment or something like that. If you're on YouTube, give us a like, a comment, and a subscription. It means so much to us. Thank you, especially the like thing. Um, and appreciate you watching. I know that most people are listeners, but whenever we get those watchers, it makes us feel warm and cuddly because we're on here on camera, right? I'm in my room here. What's up? If you have an email or some feedback or a speaker suggestion or a topic suggestion or a question or really anything at all, PowerShell at PDQ.com, it goes to Jordan and I. We'll read it. We won't spam you. We just want to talk to you. I'm at Andrew Plotek. He's DevOps Jordan. We don't have a guest today, so it's just the two of us. Check us out. You can find our podcast on all platforms, and we're just doing our thing at PowerShell Pod. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. Two kinds of flavor, two kinds of crunch. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.